Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Let's now stand for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading from the last part of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. <clears throat> this is the Word of the Lord. It is eternally true. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise, also deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you have been following the news lately, you've read or seen uh, many stories chronicling the sexual abuse of women by high-ranking men. Hollywood producers and actors and talk show hosts, elected officials, Fortune 500 business executives have had their sins exposed. These men have money, they have power, they have influence, and they made sure to use all those things to get exactly what they wanted. They wanted to fulfill their lusts. And they made sure those who wanted to make it um, big time in film or in government or in business would do the fulfilling or they would be blacklisted and kept from fulfilling their dreams. Um, you know, whether, whether those aspirations are the right kind of aspirations has something to do with it, but only very little. Whether or not, whether or not these women who complied, added their own sins and idolatry to the mix has something to do with it. Ironically, most of the men, perhaps all of the men, are, are um, politically and culturally liberal and speak with hypocritical mouths about women's rights and equality and equal opportunity. And so the, the Me Too movement made up of women who have been abused by those wicked men, states that they are opposed to the patriarchy. And yet, they do not know what patriarchy is. right? And if they did, they would know that father rule has nothing to do with how those abusive men ruled. Patriarchy, beginning with and derived from God's original fatherhood, would lead to the blessing and spiritual well-being and even political and cultural protection of women and of femininity. Right? Feminists have been sowing to the wind and now they are reaping the whirlwind. But think of the men who have had their, their sinful behavior exposed. Most of them portrayed themselves as champions of women. Champions of women, and yet after the TV cameras turned off, they abused women. And they thought they could keep that part of their lives hidden. And it was necessary to keep that part of their lives hidden so that they could continue fulfilling their lusts. They had or have what they thought was a perfect situation. Publicly a champion of women, privately an abuser of women. 
and a gratifier of their lusts. Such is the cover, right? Such is the cover that all abusers of people um, hope to have. And now the cover has been removed. The cover has been removed. Their sins are exposed for all to see. They are losing their power. They're losing their positions. They're losing their careers. They're, they're losing their access to the objects of their lusts, at least for a time. At least for a time, they are. And the words of Almighty God come to mind, and because we are all sinners, they should put fear in our hearts. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed. And hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. Now, does that make you stop and reflect? All things are going to be revealed. We will stand before the tribunal of God Almighty in each one of our thoughts. Each one of our actions, each one of our unkindnesses and lusts and secret sins that nobody else knows about will be exposed. And God's people, I mean, think of this. And God's people will stand there as they're exposed and they will admit their guilt. But lift their heads and claim the righteousness of Jesus Christ. They will be clothed in that righteousness and the goats, the unbelievers, will boldly proclaim not their guilt, but they'll boldly and foolishly proclaim their innocence at that tribunal. Even in the midst of all this proof of all of their sins. And they will be condemned and cast into the lake of fire. So it's inevitably true that all of our sins will be exposed at the last day. And for Christians, the thought of our sins being exposed on the last day should be what? It should be a deterrent. We do not want to bring shame to our Savior. Have you thought in those spiritual terms when you're faced with a temptation? Certainly the thought that God is present everywhere and always should cause you to halt and consider but after that the fact that a record is kept and will be exposed should cause us to 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 cease from sin and to do what is right second corinthians 5 10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad I don't have to give you any more proof than that one verse, right? We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, having given that introduction, let's look at the two verses from 1 Timothy. These verses do not have necessarily the final judgment as their their focus, though there is that mention of sins going before the sinner to judgment. It takes the judgment and the last day as a given, The focus is on the here and now, not the last day. The focus is on now. Our sinfulness does not merely have consequences for the last day. Our sins have consequences today, right now, right here. 
And so the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, the sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. In other words, I think this is a good way to understand this statement. Some, I mean, it's simple. Some men's sins are obvious. Others are not obvious. You see them, some you don't see. Some people's sins are out in the open. Others are hidden and not observed by other people. Many of the worst sins I've had to deal with in the church were the latter, right? Hidden sins that only became exposed after much digging, right? Those hidden sins. And and often what sin was exposed and led to the questions is so minor to the core sin, right? The thing that manifested itself was minor, but then you start digging to the core of the sin and what's hidden there is obnoxious. And after, you know, I, I remember one situation when someone told me something in a prayer meeting that was alarming, but not all that out of the ordinary. And then over the course of almost a year, the depth of the sin and corruption and heartbreak of that household was exposed. On the other hand, I've known situations where the sin of some are obvious. A man so drunk, he's puking on himself. Right? Or a man so angry, he's he's throwing heavy objects through the front windows of his house. Um, when any when anybody arrives to to help, um, well, that you know those are sins. In, th- those are sins out front. <laughs> those are obvious. They are they are very clear. There is no attempt to conceal those sins. There may be excuses made later, right? That you know I this and that led to this and that, and you know it's really her fault that I was throwing the things through the window. There may be excuses, but you can't hide the actual sin. It's very obvious. Sin is right in the open. And it's so fun to go through a list of other people's sins, isn't it? But what about my own sins? There are sins that I think are respectable. I I think I have a list of respectable sins. And, And you could probably name my respectable sins. Do you know your pastor? Um, they are out in the open. My impatience. Right? Who's got, who, who will affirm me? Larry, thanks. I'll get you later. Um, my impatience, uh, the fact that I am so easily annoyed. It's a sin that's out, right out in the open, okay? You can see it on my face. My lack of faith. My anxiety. My self-centeredness. Those are my sins that that are out in the open and my children suffer from them and you see them as well. Um, I think you'd all say to those things, yep, that's Dion. What are your respectable sins? What are the ones that you don't mind being out there in the open for all to see? Right? Is it your materialism? Is it your complaining? Is it your Sabbath breaking? Is it your anger? You know, what, what is out there? But what sins of mine do you know nothing about? What sins of mine do you know nothing about? The sins I commit when I'm alone or I'm in the relative anonymity of my house. Right? What what are those things? 
What of those sins? What don't you know about me and my fa- me that my family knows only too well? What things does my wife not know about me? How tragic is that when that is the case, right? When we have sins that are weighing us down and killing us and not even our helpmate knows about it. What things take the discernment of church officers to get out into the open so that they can be repented of and killed? Um, you know, this is one of the purposes of the, the elder visitations to your home. It's a, it's a yearly spiritual physical. Now, there's only so much we can do in an hour or so, but it's our prayer that these visitations would be the beginning of exposing these hidden sins. Because repentance is beautiful. And repentance glorifies God, right? If there are hard words that come from the pastors and elders at these meetings, know that it's for the purpose of beginning to dig to the root of issues. Okay, if your doctor is allowed to tell you you are fat, why are we not allowed to tell you you are sinful? You know, the things your doctor tells you are scandalous. And yet we, we, can't, we can't say anything. I mean, if you are unconvinced of either, either thing, you're probably delusional, right? You're both fat and sinful. It is my privilege as a pastor to tell you you're fat and sinful. It's humiliating. But it's good humility before God that leads us to repentance. Okay? Um, What about your gluttony? What about your impurity? What about your relationship with your kids and your spouse? The way you treat your children that no one else knows about? What of your thought life? I mean, there's one that we hide from everybody. Your thought life. That perhaps no one, no one else knows about, and you get to control the flow, right? You get to control what other people know about your thoughts. Are you, are you a murderer in your thoughts? Now think about this example of hidden sin. From Genesis 38. Now after a considerable time, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adjulamite. It was told to Tamar, behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in the gateway of Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah had grown up, and she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, her father-in-law, he thought she was a harlot, for she, was covered, she, she had covered her face. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, Here now, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? He said, therefore, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, moreover, will you give a pledge until you send it? And he said, what pledge shall I give you? And she said, your seal and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Then she arose and departed, removed her veil and put on her widow's garments. And when Judah sent the young goat by his friends, the the friend, the Adulamite, to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, He did not find her. He asked the men of her place, saying, Where is the temple prostitute who was by the road at Enaim? But they said, 
There's been no temple prostitute here. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said, there has been no temple prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep them. Otherwise, we will become a laughingstock. After all, I sent this young goat, but you did not find her. Now, it was about three months later that Judah was informed, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has played the harlot. And behold, she is also with child by harlotry. And how does Judah respond? Then Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Bring her out and let her be burned. It was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law saying, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. And she said, please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these. And Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I. Inasmuch as I did not give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not have relations with her again. I mean, talk about a hidden sin that in a moment is exposed. Talk about the shame of that incestual relationship. Where, where in a moment to gratify himself, he, he brings such gross sin into his family. Now, earlier when I said respectable sins, I was not saying that these sins don't need to be repented of. There are sins, they are sins, and therefore they should truly grieve us. I think we fall into both of these categories, though. There are some of our sins that go ahead of us, and there are some that follow after. Right? And God requires us to repent and equips us to repent in both of those areas. But there is also those who can be categorized majorly as one or the other. There are some sinners whose sins go before them, and there are some sinners whose sins follow after. There are some sinners whose sins are obvious. They are flamingly obvious. They are proud of their sins. They flaunt them and call others to join them in their happy sins. Right? Then there are those who are still, in a sense, ashamed of their sins. They enjoy them in private. They're two-faced. They're hypocrites, right? They are one thing in one place and another thing in another place. For which is there more hope? For which is there more hope? Well, my first, my first answer is, well, neither. They're both in a terrible situation. The one who sins openly, the problem with the one who sins openly is he has no shame. Right? And therefore, it's going to be hard to bring that sort of person to conviction. Okay? The one who sins privately, there's still, hopefully, and because it's private, it seems so, there's still a sense of shame. But there is no, no knowledge, right? No one knows about that particular sin. So it's going to be hard to bring that man to conviction because you just don't know the sin. He may be ashamed, but he's hiding it. And yet, what does is, what is this scripture promise? Look at verse 25. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise, those deeds that aren't good, evil deeds, cannot be concealed. Cannot be concealed. This divides the matter at hand between good deeds and evil deeds. So verse 24 teaches us that there are different kinds of people. Flagrant sinners and hidden sinners. 
And verse 25 teaches us that there are two different kinds of deeds, the good and the evil. Good deeds are obvious because why are good deeds obvious? Good deeds are obvious because they often have to do with the love of your neighbor. They have to do with loving somebody, um, relieving somebody's burdens, caring for a child, giving to a missionary, caring for an elderly uh, parent, worshiping God, right? The, you know, that's the, that's the other category of good deeds. There's love for neighbor and there's the worship and love for God. The latter category, love of God, cannot be left out of good deeds. The outward works of love to neighbor can be faked when they are done for selfish reasons and not from a love toward God. We read this in Titus. Titus says, They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. So good deeds by necessity must arise from a love for God. A good deed done out of a false profession of knowing God makes a man worthless for any good deed. They are sin because they are not of faith. So good deeds are obvious. Obvious because they arise out of a person's love of God. He does them not to get notoriety, not to get noticed by anyone else. He does them because he wants to honor his Lord. Good deeds are obvious because they are so selfless. Good deeds are obvious because the, the, the satisfaction of performing them is simply, I'm loving my almighty Father in heaven. That also makes them quite uncommon. It seems that our motives are always mixed, doesn't it? We want to announce our good deeds. We want to announce our good deeds so that others can recognize our faith or our brilliance. We talk about what we've done. You know, blah, blah, blah this, blah, blah, blah that. Talk about ourselves all the time. Always talking about ourselves. You know, I protest at the abortion clinic when no one else will. Recognize my boldness and my zeal. I submit to my husband this week when he asked me to do this or that. Recognize my faith and my godly femininity. Um... It is often as if the only reason we do good deeds is so that we can boast about them on Facebook. That's so pathetic. Admit it. Admit it. That motivates you, doesn't it? A boast out of your good works. It motivates you. Where's the love of God? Where's the satisfaction in just pleasing Him? Right? And just knowing that you've stored your treasures in heavens and you have pleased your Father in heaven. You've made, you've, you've made it, you've pleased Him. Now, evil deeds, the verse says, cannot be concealed. Does this contradict what I said earlier, that there is a kind of sinner who conceals his sins? Uh, well, no, I don't think it does. There's a certain time that a person can hide their sins, certainly not beyond the judgment day. You know, then they're all exposed. But Scripture also teaches us that our sins will find us out in this life. And that is what we see happening in our culture with regard to sexual abuse. And I would also say, um, I'd also say this, why, why do sins get exposed? I would say that a burdened conscience, somebody with a burdened conscience, a conscience that knows what it is doing is wrong by the law written on the heart, will eventually manifest itself in ways that others can see. If you have a burdened conscience, people are going to recognize 
that you are burdened and you're covering your sins. This is how this, the psalmist put it. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. When I kept silent about my sin, just kept it hidden, kept it submerged, my body wasted away. You can almost see physical manifestations of somebody who's sinning and, and unwilling to repent of it. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then this beautiful verse, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Our sins manifest themselves in other behaviors or in a certain mentality. A burdened conscience tears at a person. And the behavior that becomes evident is their attempt to silence the conscience. They do so by committing other sins, pouring themselves into work, right? That's one way we can escape drinking, smoking dope, obsessing uh, about some hobby, right? Obsessing about some relationship, taking their religion into the private realm. Um, I mean, knitting. It could be knitting. It could be whatever. But there's an obsessiveness to it to quiet the conscience. The evil deed becomes obvious by how it breeds other evil deeds. Beyond that, there's the simple promise in Scripture that our evil deeds will be exposed by God himself. The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. Proverbs 15.3 God is watching. He is seeing the evil and the good. When the sons of Israel are about to take the land, the tribes of Reuben and Gad want to settle on the east side of the Jordan. Moses agrees, but... But he makes them first go into the land to fight the pagan nations off. And then they could return. He concludes by saying, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. It will not go well for you. It's very hard to cover our sin. It is a very, it's, it's torturous. To cover our sins. It's a game that takes every fiber of your being. It is really impossible to give yourself fully to the Lord and hide a particular sin. You cannot serve God and serve mammon. Right? Scripture says that. Think of this example of a man who who tried to hide his evil deeds and then they were subsequently disclosed. King David committed adultery and murdered the husband of the wife he had abused, much like Harvey Weinstein. King David was used his position of power to get what he wanted. And then the following happened. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb. Which he bought and nourished and it grew up together with him and his children It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David's anger greatly burned against the man, just like Judah. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make this restitution 
for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, and everybody knows what Nathan says to David, right? You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Now listen to this. David's sins are being exposed here. But look at what punishment comes to David. It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been, this is God through the prophet speaking to David. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will rise, raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, my punishment is too great for me. Now that was Cain. And David, then Nathan said to David, and then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born to you shall surely die. So Nathan went to his house. And then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David so that he was very sick. David therefore inquired of God for the child. And David fasted and went and laid all night on the ground. And the elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died. The sin of David was exposed, and the consequences of his sin did not leave his household all his days. Yet it was the mercy of the Lord that it was exposed, wasn't it? The, the truly evil, those who don't know God, know nothing worse than having their sins exposed. The child of God, though, though he fears it greatly, eventually rejoices when his sins are exposed. So that he may walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. That he may put down the enemy of his soul. That he may glorify God and, and finally know humility. What a gift Nathan was to David. No? What lengths would David have gone to in order to stifle his burdened conscience? If that hadn't happened, what lengths would he have gone to? What more sinfulness would have, would have ravaged his household? You need, you need Nathans, right? You need prophet Nathans. You need a church session that will help you root out sins. You need counselors that don't lie to you. Um, we all need this so that our hidden sins may be rooted out so that our deeds may be glorifying to God. If you don't have a prophet, Nathan, go and open up to your pastor. And remember that your sins, um, your sins will be exposed by God one way or another. 
Better to go and expose them yourself. The longer you wait, the more tentacles these sins will grow, the more pain they will cause others, the more hard-hearted you become, the less of a chance. You will seek for repentance, but you will not find it. I'll close with this scripture from John. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light. Implied is it's going to expose your deeds. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the conviction that it brings. Lord, we do ask that you would show to us our hidden faults, that we would expose those hidden faults that we are aware of, and that those sins that that are out in front, that go before us, that we would begin to work to kill those sins through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.